morning, everybody. Welcome to those of you joining us online. We're glad that we get to be together as a church because we're doing this little series leading up to Easter where we're talking about the mission of Jesus. And this morning we're going to be looking at this idea of the mission of Jesus explained. What, why is it that Jesus came? What did he, he come to do? And so Ross just had you open up to, to Matthew 26. And so here's what I want you to do. If, if, you've got, if you're on your phone, you're good. You can jump quick. But if, you're, if you've got a physical Bible, either one of the chair Bibles or another Bible, take like, like borrow one of the connection cards from the back of the chair, stick it in your Bible, and flip all the way back to the front. We're going to come back there, so don't lose it. But I want you to go to Exodus chapter 12. So if you're using chair Bible, that's page 53. So it's like right at the beginning, almost right at the beginning. Because as we talk about the mission of Jesus, we can't just jump to the end of the book. We've got to go back to the beginning. And so we're going to look a little bit at Exodus chapter 12. And this goes all the way back to when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And this is in the midst of the story about the plagues as Jesus is raining down punishment on the gods of Egypt and on Pharaoh. And he's showing that he is God and he is greater than all the gods of the land, that he is supreme. But as we read through these stories, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I read through the narratives of the, the Bible, I can just like quickly skim through the stories, kind of read through them quickly and, and get all the facts, get all the stuff I need to know. I understand the story, great. But oftentimes when I do that, I miss out on some of the, the, the power of what's actually happening in the story. And the reason that, that we have the nervous is that we understand that. And so what I want to do is we look at this, uh, this tenth and final plague. I want to just kind of jump into the story as if we were there. All right, and so, so picture this. Here's, here's in, Israel, or in Egypt, the, the Israelites have been slaves under the oppression of Pharaoh for centuries. And then Moses comes onto the scene and God has given him instructions and, and he tells Pharaoh to let his people go. And when Pharaoh refuses, then there's been this series of plagues. And so all of the Israelite people have seen God showing up in all these different ways. Nine different times where Moses said, God's going to rain down this punishment and then it's happened. And it's been in some incredible ways. And now we come to this point where Moses has come once again and told the people, there's this 10th plague that's coming, and here's what you need to do. This time there's instructions for the people of God. And they follow the instructions, now it comes to the night. And so it's nighttime, and, and there's this, this dad sitting in his house. He's got his walking stick out because they were told to be ready, and he's still wearing his cloak, and he's, he's kind of propped up against the wall, and he's kind of been dozing off and on all night. And it's dark. And it's kind of that, that, that eerie darkness where everything's just quiet and still and, and, and there's just this foreboding that you know something's about to happen. And as his eyes kind of adjust to the dark, he kind of looks around the room and he sees his family sleeping. And that's good. As he's propped up, he's looking out over the city and everything's still. <coughs> and he, he kind of finds, he's wondering what time it is. It's probably getting close to midnight. And as he sits there, thinking about the instructions that, that Moses had given him, because two weeks ago he had come and given him instructions, because there's this plague coming. And the Israelites were told that the angel of death is going to come over the land, and God is going to kill all the firstborn throughout the land of Egypt. And here's what you need to do to protect your family. And so they had done everything. 
They had followed the instructions. And so here they are that night. And he's sitting there looking out. And then kind of in that moment as he looks down at his family and everybody's good, he, he starts to hear it in the distance. There's this noise growing. And it's kind of that eerie noise. All of a sudden it just keeps getting louder and closer. And it's, it's this, can't even describe, it's this weird wailing sound of people crying in the night. As the angel of death starts to sweep across the land and, and, and the firstborn and all these families and, and livestock are all being wiped out. And as the sound starts growing closer and closer, all of a sudden he starts to just, man, it intensifies. He starts looking at his family. He starts just replaying the last couple of weeks. Did we do everything? Did we follow the instructions that God gave us correctly? And he starts running through. Man, we got, we got that lamb. We had it here. It was perfect. We, we like checked over. There's, there's no blemishes on this lamb. It was a perfect, spotless lamb. And we, we slaughtered it, we captured the blood, we then roasted the lamb, and we took the blood that we caught, and we grabbed the branch, and we brushed it over our doors to mark our house. And we did the meal like Moses had told us to do. We cooked the bread without yeast, we, we wore our robes, we're ready to go. I think we did it all right, but is, is this going to work? Because I hear the wailing in the night. I hear the mourning and the crying out. And it's getting louder and it's getting closer. And then as it approaches, it, it kind of, like we're crying so there, but now I hear the noise going past us and it seems to have passed over. And I look out over my family, I see my kids, they're still breathing. And the blood of the lamb, just like Moses said, protected our family. And the angel of death passed over us and we were safe. The Passover was this thing that, that, that it, the Israel was told to celebrate. Here's the crazy part about this plague. When you think about this plague, that, that as this event happens, the people of Israel were ready to listen and obey because they had just seen all of these things happen over the past weeks. As God proved himself greater than every God in Egypt, over every God, over Pharaoh, God was supreme. And so when this last plague is told, they're ready to follow the instructions and ready to obey. And so as Moses is telling him this is going to happen, he's like, so here's what's going to happen. The angel of death is going to come over and God's going to wipe out the firstborn throughout the land of Egypt. And I'm sure some of the firstborns will be like, that's not a good plan. All right, and so then Moses says, here's what's got to happen. In order to protect your family, here's the instructions. He starts to give them the instructions. But here's what's crazy. In the midst of the instructions, in verse 14, Moses like takes this pause and starts to tell him, he's like, oh, and by the way, next year, and every year after that, we're going to have this celebration to remember this. And all the people are like, well, okay, let's finish the instructions. Let's make sure we know what we need to do here. Let's get to the celebration later. Right? But, but it's this pause like, hey, here's what's going to happen. And in the midst of it, this is a celebration where you're going to mark this year after year where you remember this Passover. So this meal that you do, Passover night, and take the blood and paint it over your, your door frame. Every year from here on out, we're going to celebrate this and commemorate what God has done. And we're being told this is going to happen two weeks before God even does it. But then God does it. 
And here's the crazy thing. So then for centuries, the people of God, the Israelites, have celebrated the Passover. For the past 3,500 years, this celebration has been going on year after year after year. It's the oldest continual practice of a religious festival in all of human history. 3,500 years, give or take a few. Every year, Passover has been celebrated. And it's this meal that is filled with symbolism to remember, forcing us to remember what God did. And so this week, all around the world, people will be, be holding Seder meals to celebrate the Passover. And the, co- the, the common meals, if you were to go and, and celebrate or participate in one, there might be some things that are slightly different than the ancient traditions. But even then, the, the whole purpose of the meal, the whole flow of the meal, is still dating back to this event. Dating back to remembering what God done, every piece of the meal is a symbol to remember the story of freedom, of how God rescued his people. And the people are told to do it again and again, and all the pieces of the meal are caused to make us remember. Because as they celebrate the meal, they also then read the Exodus story and are reminded again of God's faithfulness to provide a way out. And it's really cool, in, in verse 26, as he's talking about this celebration, Moses is telling him, Here's, so next year when we do this, you're going to do all these things. And, and he says this phrase, I love it. He says, when your children ask, right, as part of the celebration, as you're doing this feast, this festival every year, when your children ask. And the reason he says that is because everything in there is caused to, to create questions, Right? We normally eat bread, but this time you're going to eat bread without yeast, and you're supposed to eat it with your cloak on and your staff ready to go. Why? Why are we doing this? Well, let me tell you why. Why do we eat this bitter? Why are we eating like straight horseradish? Like it causes, like nobody likes it, our eyes tear. Why are we eating this bitter herb? Like why do we do that to ourselves? Well, the whole point is so that we cry, so that we remember the bitterness of the oppression of Pharaoh, and we remember the oppression and the bitterness of sin in our lives. Why is this night so special? Why? 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 Right? All these questions designed into the celebration to cause us to remember. So what does this all have to do with the mission of Jesus? Right? Well, I think it's, it's part of the, the, the ground that we need to establish before we move on. We're right here, back here in Exodus chapter 12, right? And so before we jump all the way ahead to Matthew 26, we got, we got a big chunk there in the middle that we need to take care of, right? So the good news is we're going to take care of it. We're going to go quick. Because there's this big question that comes up in the Old Testament again and again as we see this, this sacrifice of this lamb with the Passover. It's, it's the first of many. Right? Because then after God rescues the people out of Egypt into the promised land, just a few short days later, they're at Mount Sinai and, and God gives them the law. And in the pr- law is prescribed all the sacrifices that the people of Israel are supposed to do. Right? Year after year, day after day, they're supposed to offer sacrifices in the temple, in the tabernacle, and it's all prescribed in the law. And there's all sorts of them, right? They're sacrificing bulls, goats, lambs, doves, quail, 
grain, like all this different stuff. All these sacrifices are happening. Why? And it's this big question, this big question, why? Oftentimes we just kind of breeze over, right? We start reading through the Bible and we just kind of skip over some of these big questions. But this, this question actually came up in our house just two weeks ago. And it took my, my 10-year-old Toby to ask the question. And as we're kind of talking about some of the stuff, he just asked questions like, did the sacrifices work? Why did they have to do all the sacrifices? And they did, did they do anything? I know the, the Israelites were told to do them, but did it do anything? Right? And so I think part of this question that we have to ask is this idea of, it's this big theological church word that we throw around called the atonement. That we just talk about, and some of us like, are familiar with it, we know it, other people it's like, well, I've heard it before, but, but what is it actually talking about? Why were the sacrifices there? And it's this idea of the doctrine of the atonement, is this idea of covering up sin. And not covering up like hiding it and like pretending it's not there, but like covering up, like making, taking care of it, dealing with it, covering up, paying the price. Because we see all of these sacrifices that are given in the law to the people, right? We see the Passover lamb, like clearly the Passover lamb worked, right? Because they did this. I don't know how it worked, but they painted blood and all the houses that had blood painted on the firstborn was saved. So we know it worked, but why? And then for all those years of all the sacrifices in the temple, for all those years, all the sacrifices taking place in the tabernacle, did they do anything? So to answer that, we're going to look at, at Hebrews. And just for fun, if you want to, I'll give you a choice for just like for fun this week. You can either read about all the, the law and all the sacrifices read through Leviticus, or you can read through Hebrews where it kind of explains it. So your choice. I kind of recommend Hebrews. Um, but I want to just read a couple of these, these things in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18 through 22. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll in all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Okay, this, is, this is one of those things that really seems strange to us, because I'm going to make an assumption about all of you here and all of you watching that most of us don't deal with slaughtering animals on a regular basis. Right? And so most of us, when it comes to meat, we think of meat like wrapped in plastic and refrigerated, right? And outside of a few deer and other game animals a year, maybe, like we just don't deal with slaughtering animals, right? So this, this idea is kind of foreign to us, right? Because when we talk about sacrifice, we're talking about like having to give up something. Like, well, I'm willing to make a sacrifice and like not eat that so that my kids can eat it. Or like I'm, I'm willing to make a sacrifice so like I really want to do this, but I'll sacrifice my time so that we can do this thing as a family or we can, you know, like that's what we think about as sacrifice, not slaughtering animals. And yet there's this thing that's laid out in the law is God gives the law to the people of, of Israel. It's this whole instruction of here's what you need to do to be a holy people. 
And what we see over and over and over again throughout the whole Old Testament is that God's people screwed up again and again and again. And the law pointed out their sin and showed them that they could not live up to the standard of perfection that God required. They weren't holy. And so they had all these sacrifices to do. Right, but here's the question again. This goes back to the question that my son has. Like, did the sacrifices work? Right, so, so I made a mistake. I, I realized my sin that I am not holy and I don't meet God's standard. So I'm going to kill a lamb and everything's fine. Right, like, how does that work? But we see this thing offered. It's this idea of atonement that, the de- that, that sin requires death. The penalty of sin is death, and so God provided a way out. And through the whole sacrifice system that you read about in the law, is this idea that, that in my place, though I deserve death, this lamb can die in my place. This lamb's blood is going to stand in the, and take the place of my blood that should have been paid out for this sin. And so we see that in 1 Peter 2, 24, and Isaiah 53, 5, and, and all throughout Scripture, we get this idea, understand this idea of atonement. Right? But again, so if that's the way it, it's set, right, it still seems like out of balance, right? Because like human life, a dove or a lamb, like those, those things don't seem to quite measure up, Right? And so we do in in Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 4, it it continues on. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never be by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would have stopped being offered. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so it's, it's crazy because right here within just a few verses of each other, we have this thing that says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That's why the priests offer these sacrifices. But the blood of bulls and goats can't do it. The law just points out our sin and our need for a Savior. And so in answer to the questions, the sacrifices of the Old Testament were unable to permanently get rid of sin. It was a temporary fix, a temporary atonement. The, the blood of bulls and goats pointed to our need for a permanent fix. So it's crazy here. We see this whole thing. God pro- provides the law and the rules and the sacrifice, but then says it's not going to work. And so as we fast forward 1,400 years from the Passover to the time of Jesus in Matthew 26, now we can jump all the way back to the end here in Matthew 26 on page 808. We come to this point where Jesus is now in Jerusalem and his mission's about to be explained. Because Jesus came once and for all to deal with this problem of sin. The thing that the, all these sacrifices throughout the whole Old Testament, all these sacrifices kept pointing to the need for a fix. 
a better fix. This was a temporary way out, a temporary covering up of sin, but could not deal with the problem itself. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't fix it. We needed something better. So here comes Jesus. In Matthew 26, starting in verse 17, we see the Last Supper. Because Jesus came into Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. And so for 1,400 years, the people of Israel have been celebrating this Passover festival year after year, having the, the meal that they were prescribed and, and taking, eating the bitter root, eating the unleavened bread, drinking the, the wine and eating the, the lamb as they remembered what God had done, remembered how God had provided a way out. And then comes Jesus. And Jesus gathers with his disciples to celebrate this last meal together. And as they recline around the table and are are preparing the Passover feast, here's, here's the crazy thing. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows that he has just a few hours left with his disciples before he's taken away from them. And this is how he chooses to spend his final hours with his disciples. All right, no more teaching, no more like, information up. Here's all the things that we haven't covered yet. Let me make sure you get all this information down. You need to know all this stuff. This is important. Like get your, get your notebooks out. We're, we're going like pay attention and just goes into like speed lecture mode. And that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't go into like, like we've been talking about for this whole year so far. He doesn't go into more parables, teaching parables, telling them the stories. What does Jesus do with them? He gathers around and he said, we're going to share this meal together. This meal that you've been celebrating your whole life, right? Most of these disciples got around for for 30, 20 to to 40 years have, have done this. Year after year, celebrated this meal with their family. They know it like the back of their hand. They know all the parts. They they can do it by heart. And this is how Jesus chooses to spend his last time. And so they celebrate the Last Supper together. They celebrate the Passover meal the Seder meal together. But then as they go through this meal, things start to change. And the disciples are kind of caught off guard as they watch. Because when they come to the bread, just like normal, the bread's there, made without yeast, the unleavened bread. But what does Jesus do? When he breaks the bread, he gives it to all them. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. This is the bread, right? This, they, they were ready to eat this bread. They knew what to do. They, they had probably their cloaks on, their staffs ready. Like, they knew how to do the Passover meal, and, and Jesus changes it, catches them off guard. Right? Because it's bread that we live by. Bread is the, the source of life. They, this was the staple that they needed. And Jesus is like, no, I'm the bread. I'm going to become the source of your life. My body is your bread. It's about to be whipped and beaten and put in the crucible of crucifixion for you. My body is going to be prepared for you to be satisfied. My body is going to be prepared for you to be shared and give you life. Jesus makes the statement, I am the bread of life. And I'm sure the disciples are sitting around being like, that's not the script we normally use for this meal. And then next comes the cup. And the cup normally was shared throughout the meal. Every time you drank of the cup, they, they, they said this prayer 
together, repeated it together, and it was praising God, thanking God for the fruit of the vine and his provision for them. Right? And just like us, kind of our Thanksgiving meal where we thank God, we do it once a year and we just do a big feast. They did it with Passover. Every time they drank of the cup, they thank God for his provision. But when Jesus comes to the cup after the bread, again, he flips the script on him. And rather than thanking God for the provision of the vine, what does he do? He says, this cup represents my blood which is poured out for you. This is the new covenant. Remember the old covenant, the law that Moses delivered to him. Here's the promise of God, the covenant that we have failed to keep for 1,400 years. That we keep messing up with and we need to keep going back to you. This promise that, that really has done nothing more than show us our desperate need for a permanent fix. And now Jesus says, here's this new covenant that's sealed with my blood. And this cup represents it. So again, the disciples are caught off guard. What is Jesus doing? Then as we read through the Last Supper in Matthew 26, we see the bread, we see the cup. And then we come to the culmination of the meal. Right? The, the big part, what, what is the story of the Passover all about? It's about the lamb that was slain, and we eat the lamb together and remember how God provided a way out. And so here at the Last Supper, the big crescendo of the Passover feast comes, and it's not there. There's no lamb. There's no lamb in the meal. And every one of the disciples recognized there's something missing here. And yet then the meal's over, and just like that, the disciples follow Jesus out to the garden to pray. And I'm sure as this meal's wrapped up, this meal that they thought they knew the script to, this thing that they've done year after year since they were born with their families, they've celebrated this Passover meal to cause them to remember how God had provided a way out. And here they celebrate it with Jesus and everything's different. And so they head to the garden probably with all these questions. They're like, what was that with the bread? Like, I don't, I don't get that. I mean, I remember he said that he's the bread of life before, but, but saying the Passover bread's his body, I don't, I don't get it. And the, the whole thing with the cup, that was weird. And like, where was the lamb? Did he just forget? Was he like so like distracted that we forgot the lamb? And yet as they're there in the garden... They're left with all these questions of these 1,400 years of tradition of following this, this thing outlined in the law. And everything's changed on him. And then just like that, Jesus is arrested and the disciples flee. And over the next few hours, Jesus is tried on trumped up charges. He's convicted and he's condemned to die and he's executed on a cross. And the disciples are all scattered, fleeing, running for their lives. And as they're hiding, probably a handful of them probably snuck back to look and see, is, is the news really true? Is Jesus being crucified? Is he being executed? Like, we had so many questions. Where I thought you were the Messiah. You came to say we followed you. We gave our lives to follow you. And, and now it's all over. And from a distance as they see Jesus on the cross, probably with, with blood dripping down on his own body, with blood on the cross and scattered and pooled on the ground around the cross, maybe for some of them it started to click. Maybe they started to connect the dots. 
that the picture of the Passover meal started to make sense. That the lamb was slain. The lamb's blood was painted on the cross for our protection. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God came and stood in our place, and he became the Passover lamb. Going back to Hebrews verses Chapter 9, 12 through 14, it says about Jesus, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but He entered the most holy place once and for all by His own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God, Christ, who through the Spirit offered himself to God. And then jump down a little bit into chapter 10 of Hebrews. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstools. For by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. On the cross, even though the Lamb's blood was poured out, the Father did not pass over His firstborn. Right? If we look back to the Passover, the blood of the Lamb was painted on the doorstep, and as the, the angel of death came over, the angel passed over those houses, and the firstborn were protected, but in the case of the cross... The father did not pass over the firstborn. Instead, something much more incredible happened. In that moment on the cross, God didn't pass over his firstborn. Rather, he passed over us. And God poured all of his wrath and all of the punishment for sin on his son. On the lamb who was sacrificed for us. Once and for all, making atonement for sin. Once and for all in a perfect sacrifice. Or as we saw the old covenant with the law, that, that this need for death, right? Because sin brings death, and so there's this temporary fix where, where the, this unfair balance, right? But that we're going to say that the blood of, of animals is a temporary atonement. But now that scale is completely fixed because we have the perfect, holy Lamb of God who died in our place and provides perfect atonement for us. That once again, God rescued us. It's a story of freedom. Because Jesus became the perfect Passover lamb. If you remember back to last week when we were talking about how Jesus' mission started. What was it that John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming? He said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was the mission of Jesus. Jesus came to deal with sin once and for all, that by his own blood, by the perfect sacrifice, he could make atonement for sin for all. That is the hope of the gospel. 
That is what we get excited about at Easter is we celebrate Holy Week. We remember how God provided a way out, how God provided rescue for his people through the blood of the Lamb, his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we, we, as we're confronted with this truth, God, we just have to stand in awe. And God, the proper response is, is thank you a million times over. That in the midst of our sin, you came to rescue us. You provided a way out. You did what we could never do with no amount of sacrifices of animals, no amount of, of trying to do things right could ever deal with the problem of sin. And yet, God, you sent Jesus to rescue us. That he could come and live a perfect life. That he could go to the cross in our place. And allow his body to be broken. Allow his blood to be poured out. That he would die in our place and become the perfect Passover lamb. To deal with sin once and for all. That you pass over us and pour out all of our guilt and shame on Jesus. And so God, we worship you. We stand in awe of you. God, we thank you for the cross and how you rescue us. Jesus, thank you. Amen. So we're going to celebrate communion this morning. And so if you want to celebrate communion, communion really is an opportunity for all of us who've put our hope and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us, that we've accepted that what Jesus did on the cross was for me. It's the only hope I have to deal with my sin is Jesus. And so if you have put your trust in Jesus, we'd love for you to celebrate communion with us. And if you grabbed communion elements on the way, great. If not, you can sneak back. There's still some out there you can come. But we want to celebrate communion because it's something that Jesus has, has given us to do. That we've been told to celebrate and remember the sacrifice that he made for us, that Jesus became the perfect Passover lamb for us. And so we get to celebrate it together as a church family. And oftentimes when we celebrate communion, normally it's just a part of, of the service. Now it gets to be the whole service where we get to talk about this, right? But here's what we typically do, and I was thinking about this because I grew up going to ch church like this. And I remember as a kid sitting with my parents and we'd celebrate communion and, and my parents taught me what to do. But, but here's what often happened during communion is we'd, we'd talk about what communion was all about, about how Jesus became that Passover lamb, how his body was broken for us, his blood was poured out to cover up my sin, that I was guilty of, and I understood that. But then the pastor would do the, the very thing that I often do. is like, hey, before we do that, I'm just going to give you time to be quiet. And so as a kid and then as a middle schooler, do you know what I did? I'd, I'd look around. I'd see everybody else really somber. So I'd be somber. And I'd see all the people around me like bowing their heads. So I'd bow my heads and close my eyes and they'd be quiet. And then I'd look up and everybody's still doing it. So I'd close my eyes again. I, I didn't know what to do. Because right? the, the pastor would say something like, like, examine your heart or worship God. And I was like, I, I'm okay. And so I was like, just sit there. Right, and we do that very same thing, but I want to I wanna give you an opportunity to, to, to kind of reflect. So we're going to kind of just take some time as, as the band's just playing music to, to do that. To how, what do we do during this time in communion? How do we examine our heart? I want to just kind of walk 
And through, I found a really great article in the Gospel Coalition where the guy, this author kind of talked about this. He gave us just some really simple things that we can do of how do we direct our, our attention during this time. Right? It's not just a minute, time to be like silent and, and try to think of everything that we've done wrong, make sure we apologize for it. But, but what is this time of worship as we celebrate communion? Do you? And, and so he came up with just a couple of postures. I'm going to kind of read through them. And as we do that, I want to just give you time to, to do what I described. As we recognize who we are and who God is in this moment. So the first thing is that as we celebrate communion, that, that we look up. And, and you can do this however you want. Or it may be helpful for you just to close your eyes so that there, you, you can block out the distractions around you. Or maybe it's helpful just to, to look at the screen and the verses that are up there as, as you think about uh, what it means to look up and recognize who God is. Because as we celebrate communion, we're reminded of the fact that God is God. He's the creator of everything. And yet he has this indescribable love for us and he has chased after us, he's pursued us, he is faithful, he is just, he is all of those things, a holy God who loves us. And so as we celebrate communion, it's an opportunity to look up at who God is. Communion also gives us an opportunity to look in an opportunity to recognize that, that there's no secrets from God. That everything we do, everything that we think, everything about us is on full display before God because He's perfect and all-knowing. And yet, oftentimes, we find ourselves trying to hide things from God. And it's an opportunity in communion to look in and to examine our hearts and to see, is there, is there things that, that are, are out of sync with between me and God? Things that maybe I've been just trying to, to hide or gloss over that I need to confess. Communion's an opportunity to look back. Kind of like we've done throughout this whole service, to look back and remember what God has done. That while we were far from God, while we were enemies of God, that He sought us and rescued us, both as we read that in God's Word, but also as we look at our own lives and see how God has faithfully pursued us to rescue us. So we look back. that we often skip over is that communion gives us this opportunity to look around and to recognize that, that in communion, God has given communion to His church, that He has called us together as we chase after Him, that, that He's given us one another. It's this opportunity to be in relationship with one another as we pursue Christ. That communion is a meal to take in community with others. Finally, in communion, we look ahead to the promise of what's coming. That Jesus is coming back in. That there's promise that we'll share another meal with Him in eternity. The wedding feast of the Lamb where we will celebrate with God for eternity. All of us who have put our hope and trust in Jesus. And so communion 
we look ahead. God together in communion. What an incredible thing to be reminded of the sacrifice that was made for us. And as we follow Jesus, we're given this opportunity to celebrate communion, to remember what God did for us. And so we celebrate it together because we're reminded that in that last supper, as Jesus gathered his disciples together, he, he re-explained the Passover meal and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember his sacrifice together. And after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood which is poured out for you as a new covenant. Let's remember that together. And what an incredible thing to be able to, as a church, remember together the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made. That it isn't about us, but it's about what he did for us. And so as we wrap up our time together, I want to just invite you to stand. And the band is going to play. We're going to just sing a song together as we worship our God together. Let's pray as we get ready to worship. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice in our place. Thank you for, for your willingness to come and die for us that, so that we may be made right with God. God, thank you that we can be your sons and daughters because of Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.